Good. That was fun. I love uh, worshiping the Lord, and um, it's just a fun time when I am able to help lead and worship. Hope you're having a great morning thus far. Um, if you're new, my name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here at Woodside Lake Orion, and um, it's uh, just a great to have you if you're new. Uh, you're our guest, and it's so great to have you worship with us. Today, um, before we open up the Word of God, we have some housekeeping things to take care of. And so, um, a couple of things. Uh, the first one is, uh, man, if, if you want to celebrate, we could cheer for this. Today is actually the 13th year anniversary today on this Sunday, 13 years ago, is when we planted this campus of Woodside. So we need to celebrate. That's awesome. It's amazing. And uh, man, God has been so faithful over those 13 years. I was here on that first Sunday, and um, I was leading worship, actually. And so it's kind of ironic. I didn't plan it, but it's just, uh, it's just amazing to watch God's faithfulness over the last 13 years to our church, specifically in this location in Lake Orion. And, and on that day, today, we're celebrating 13 years of planting this campus, our first Sunday. Today, we told you last week, uh, we have some housekeeping stuff actually voting. So if you got a bulletin, uh, if you look inside your bulletin, uh, worship bulletin there, there's a, there's a ballot for you to vote. If you need one, we have ushers. If you don't have a bulletin, you need one of these, please raise your hand. Uh, real quickly, uh, and they will bring you a ballot if you need one. And I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to fill that out. We need one over here. Um, last week, and I believe the week before, we were telling you that, hey, uh, 11 years ago, we planted a campus in, down in Midtown Detroit that the gospel would go forward in the heart of the city. And for the last 11 years, man, God has been moving there and doing powerful things there. But they've been mobile like we were for our first six years, and uh, they've been at the Detroit School of the Arts, and then lately they've been at the Masonic Temple. But our time has come to an end at the Masonic Temple, and God's opened uh, an amazing opportunity for us as a church to purchase a building there, just, just walking distance from Masonic Temple, that they could t- continue to move forward uh, with gospel movement there in the heart of the city. And so the last couple of weeks we've had uh, us available for questions. There's been things posted on the door with details about that. And today, uh, a part of our constitution, we have to vote as uh, members of the church on the purchase of that property in Detroit. And so I'm just going to read the ballot quickly, and, uh, and just so everybody's on the same page. It says this, we would like to everyone over the age of 18 to vote, members and non-members. Based on our constitution, only the members' votes will legally count, but the opinion of those who are not members yet... Uh, we, want, we, we want to know your opinion. We want to know what you are thinking, and we want you to be a part of the future of our church. And so you can check their member or non-member. If you don't know, put something in the middle. Um, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Please just put one of those. The elders, uh, then the second part is the elders of Woodside Bible Church are recommending the following for approval. The elder board has authorized Woodside Bible Church to purchase the property of 80 West Alexandrian Street, Detroit, Michigan, 48201, at the price of $1.9 million plus closing costs for the purpose of housing, excuse me, its Detroit campus. And so then you can check their yes or note on that ballot. But before you go ahead and do that, I just want to real quickly see, are there any questions that someone would have that they haven't already had the opportunity to have them answered the last two Sundays by myself or one of our elders? Anything real quick? Okay, so if you would, uh, go ahead and, and fill that out, please, for us. And then if you would, send them uh, to the ends of your rows. We have ushers there. Uh, I think the middle rows would be easiest, but 
Uh, yeah, the center rows, if you guys pass this way, center, you can pass whichever way you want, either direction. And uh, if you're joining us online, uh, we wish you could vote, but we can't take votes from the comments. So, uh, but we're glad you're with us and uh, joining us in worship. And man, I just want to say as they're collecting those, thank you. Um, we're sitting in a building right now that was from the generosity of all of Woodside across all of our campuses. We moved into this building uh, debt-free when we moved into it, and now we have become one of the vital communities within all of Woodside as a hub campus. We help share the load of a lot of what's happening across Woodside. And so last Christmas, I told you guys, our year-end giving, we were giving towards this building, specifically in Detroit at this campus. And I just want to say thank you. Your generosity this last Christmas in giving towards this building is allowing us to be able to step in, the Detroit campus to step in and do ministry in the heart of the city and have a home to go in. And man, if any of you, I know some of you, were here all those days when we were setting up chairs every week and tearing them down and setting up like kids ministry and classrooms and all that, it is a joyous thing when we came into the building here. Anybody back then? Amen. Our backs still hurt from setting up chairs every Sunday. So that's what, what they're going to get to experience now. And I am so excited about that as we move forward in that. And, and your generosity is because of that. Additionally, I know this last week we've seen a lot of stuff happening with the hurricane. And uh, we are praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ and all those that are, have been impacted by the storm uh, down there. And just so you know, we have a, a line item within our budget called the critical needs uh, budget. And so we're working right now just to see what it looks like for us to get involved and to send funds to help and get involved. And so continue to pray about that. And again, it's just a, get part of our everyday budget that you're a part of, that we're able to now go and help and serve the community in Florida. And so, man, if you're an active part of our church here and you are generous here in this place, I just want to say thank you. If you're not and you're a member, you've been coming a while, man, uh, we believe that that's part of what we're called to do. And so I would call you to pray about how you might be able to get involved in generosity, that we could continue to see the, the, the kingdom of God move forward in places like Detroit and Florida and, and Nepal and India and, and Thailand and all the places that God wants us to move as a church. And so... Man, thank you so much. Do we take care of all the ballots? I can stop rambling. Okay, cool. Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 14 uh, this morning. John chapter 14. I wrote this message for Woodside about a month and a half ago. And the Spirit of God has uh, just been convicting me and moving in my heart through writing it and since then about um, the Spirit of God in our lives. And um, I'm really excited to be able to open up and share with you uh, the burden that God's placed on my heart just about a month and a half ago in uh, this text. And so we're going to be continuing John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. And, and I just want to ask you a question that I'm going to come back to throughout our text, throughout our message again and again. And, and the question that I want to ask you is this. And I want you to deeply think about this, and I'll even give you a couple moments of awkward silence to think about it. They ask, the question is this, what active role does the Holy Spirit have in your everyday life as a believer? Think about that. What, what, what active role does the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, have in your everyday life as a believer, 
as a follower of Jesus that is indwelled by the Spirit of God? How does he actively participate? How do you actively allow him to participate? How do you invite him to participate? How do you acknowledge his active participation even though you may not know what's happening? I read a book, seems like forever ago, by Francis Chan. The book is called Forgotten God, and this section of the book really wrecked me then, and it, I read it again while I was preparing this message and put this in here because I think it makes sense. He says this, those of us who believe, uh, those of us who believe in Jesus would never deny the truth that we have the Spirit of God living in us, the Spirit of God, of, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead living inside of each one of us. I'm just not convinced, he writes, we've internalized this truth and enjoyed his blessings as he intends. It seems like this is mostly head knowledge to us and that we have not owned it. It has not really made much of a difference in our lives to the degree that if we woke up tomorrow and discovered that it is not true, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, most likely our lives wouldn't look much different. Ouch. And quite honestly, I think that there's a great number of followers of Jesus that this is their experience with the Holy Spirit. That if we woke up tomorrow and found out the truth that the Holy Spirit is not actually indwelling us, it wouldn't make much of a difference in our day-to-day operational lives. Because for a lot of believers, the Holy Spirit is mystical and weird and interesting enough. We don't really engage with him. And honestly, outside of the knowledge that he actually exists, we don't participate much with him in our everyday life. But I just want to tell you, Jesus' intention in sending the helper, what we're going to see today, the Spirit of God in our lives, the same as Jesus in our lives, was not just so that we could have a doctrinal statement that says the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. It was meant to be experiential. It was meant that we could live with him, we could experience him, we could walk with him, and it's a vital part of our discipleship as followers of Jesus. And that's what Jesus shares with his disciples as he's about to leave. And what I want you to know is that Jesus sends the Spirit to help us on our way. He sends the Spirit to help us on our way as we walk through life. That's the big idea I want you to remember today, that the Spirit of God has been sent to help us on our way as we walk through life. Well, the last couple of weeks we've been in this series, and we've been tracking in this final discourse with Jesus, and now we move to this place now of the final discourse, what Jesus wants to share with his disciples as they're overwhelmed. Remember we talked last week, I mean, Jesus is leaving. He said, hey, one of you is going to betray me, whoever I hand this to. It ends up being Judas, and they're like, whoo, that guy's gone. We're all good. And then the next moment, Jesus is like, hey, don't forget about it. Peter, you're going to betray me in the morning as well. All is well. And, and, and it seems like they're a little... Their, their hearts are shaken. They don't know what's going to happen. Jesus is leaving, but they can't go with them. They're confused. They don't know where he's going. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. They're still not quite getting it. And here Jesus wants to calm them, as he was starting last week, as he continues here, and a couple of truths about the Holy Spirit that he's sending to empower each one of us. And so we're going to look at it together. If you look with me at verse 15 down through 20 is the first thing I want you to see there is that the Spirit of God dwells in us. That's, that's the truth, and we know that. But let's read it together. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. See the capital H there in your Bible? 
It's because it's a name. That's the third person of the Trinity. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world could not receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in the future in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. He's talking about his future where he'll be gone. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So the first thing, again, I want you to see in all of this, yes, Jesus sends the Spirit to walk with us, to help us on the way. But the first reality I want you to see is that the Spirit of God dwells within you. He he actually dwells within us. So Jesus is here before his disciples. He's he's continued to address them, and he uses this this phrase, if, this if clause. And he says, if you love me, and that word, that phrase controls this whole section. If you love me, here's the realities of what will take place. And the first one he says is, man, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, we'll come back to this in, in a moment. But he's saying at the end of the day, those who love Christ will obey his commandments. To love God is to obey him. It's not just like, man, I have to, but when I have affections for the Lord and the Spirit of God truly indwells me and I've given my life to Jesus and I love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength while I struggle through life, my natural desire is to come out of that. Man, I love you. I want to keep your commandments. Don't get it mixed up. We'll come back to this. It's not, I keep your commandments so that you love me. Maybe you had a, a parent like that. If I do the right things, they love me. That is not the God of the universe. The God of the universe already loved you so much he sent his son. And out of that love, out of that salvation, we, we naturally go towards following his commands and doing all that he's called us to. Now, Jesus says not only are disciples that love him, don't they just keep his commandments, but he says, we'll receive another helper to be with you forever. Now, this is amazing. He's trying to encourage his disciples. He's saying, man, I'm leaving. I know you're overwhelmed. You don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to send a helper. He wants to comfort them. The Greek word he uses here is for another is the word alas, which means another of the same kind. That's super importance because they would have known it. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to send a helper, but he's going to be a helper just like me. He's going to be like me. And the word he uses in the Greek for helper or Uh, In the text is paraclete, which means, man, we're translated here, helper, other places, or it could be translated counselor, encourager, mediator. So what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples is, man, I'm leaving, but at the end of the day, I want you to, to, to know that I'm sending you, one like me, just like me, Jesus, I'm sending someone to be your helper, to be your counselor, to be your encourager, to be your mediator, to walk with you. And at the end of the day, in our text, it's not just that he's there walking with us, it says that he will live in us. He says, will be in you. That the Spirit of God, he's looking forward to Pentecost, is going to abide in us. That he's going to walk with us, live with us, abide in us. It's pretty profound and powerful. And Jesus is telling all his disciples this to encourage them in this moment. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. He's really tipping his hat to their adoption in Christ, but he's saying, man, I'm not going to leave you fatherless. He's saying to them in that moment, like, just like the father loves me, the son 
like his own, like his children, he's going to love you and I will love you. I will not leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to abandon you here on the earth and just go back to heaven. And man, I hope you get it together. Like, I know you've already goofed up plenty of times, but I just hope you get it right this time. No, Jesus is so loving and so caring for them. He says, no, I'm going to send you a helper, one just like me. And he's not just going to walk next to you. Man, the good news of the gospel of the helper coming is not that he's just going to walk next to them. He's going to indwell them. Pretty amazing. A little while longer, he says, and you'll realize this. He's speaking to his death and his resurrection. He says, man, they won't see me, but you'll see me. And then... Instead of this mutual indwelling, which we talked about last week, that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, that we're one and the same, this time he says something different like no other place in Scripture. He says this. He says, man, I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. So he says, not only are me and the Father one, but I just want to let you know that we are going to abide in such a way that you're going to be with me and the Father. You're going to experience this mutual indwelling where I'm going to be one with you. I'm going to walk with you on the earth. I'm going to be with you. You're going to experience me just like I get to experience my relationship with the Father. I don't know about you, but I've, I've heard people say a bunch of times, and I've probably said it in my own mind a bunch of times, man, I wish I could have been one of the disciples. Can you imagine what it would be like just to walk with Jesus? Imagine today if you just got to walk with the Lord, be with him, hear from him, how amazing it would be to like hear his thoughts, get encouragement from Jesus, maybe get some new insights in the word of God. I, I got to imagine we would experience a greater intensity of intimacy. We would be more satisfied. We'd probably follow him to a greater degree. I mean, it would be amazing to have Jesus walking with us day in and day out. But I'll just tell you, according to the text of scripture, that logic isn't sound. The, the logic of our text actually speaks to the helper being a greater thing than Jesus actually being physically present and accessible to us. It's even better. Rather than Jesus has, have to physically being shared with the world, like, man, Jesus could only spend his time in three years predominantly with 12 people the most. He had maybe 120 disciples, but at the end of the day, most of his time was just spent with 12 people. And what Jesus is saying, there's something so much greater in the sense that the Spirit of God is going to come, and he doesn't just have to be physically present. Just imagine, there's a few hundred of you in this room right now, and all of us in a moment, he's here, and you're all trying to grapple for his time and his energy and be with him and walk with him, it'd be overwhelming. He wouldn't be able to spend all that time with us. So instead, Jesus says, I'm going to send a helper, the paraclete. And not only is he going to walk with you like I walk with you, he's going to indwell you. It's going to be so intimate that you will be with him and I will be with you. You see, the reality of the text is that while Jesus has left, he's gone. He's no longer physically present with the disciples or us. He sent the Holy Spirit, and there is no loss in the exchange. There's no loss in the exchange. While Jesus is gone, he wants the disciples to know, I'm sending the helper, the Spirit of God, and he's going to be with you, and he's going to indwell you. He's going to walk with you. You're going to get to experience me in such a way. I'm such of the same kind Romans, the Apostle Paul says that the Holy Spirit, he calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. 
that we as followers of Jesus, we walk every single day, we have the spirit of Christ indwelling us that's walking with us, encouraging us, picking us up. We'll come back to this in a moment, but man, there's this amazing experience when you're helping teach your children to ride a bike. It's fascinating and fun. Unfortunately, all three of my know-how now, I don't, I don't get to experience that again, maybe with grandkids one day. But it's amazing because you're there helping them try to balance and give correction and even pick them up when they fall. And man, can I tell you, the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling each one of you that you're, as you're looking at me or you're watching online, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and he doesn't just want to be around, he doesn't just want to like kind of be there. He wants to be the Spirit of God. He wants to be the, the, the paraclete. He wants to walk with you. He wants to support you. He wants to lift you up and dust you up when you've fallen down. He wants to give you guidance and counsel and correction and all of the things that God had in when he sent the helper. But I'll just ask, like, is that your experience with the Spirit of God in your everyday life? And I'll just pause here for a moment because I don't know all of you in this room. Have you experienced the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in your life? What I'm asking in that is, are you even a follower of Jesus? Have you consciously in your own mind or heart, not what your parents did for you, not because your, your mom and dad baptized you as a child, no, no shade on your experience and upbringing, but Scripture is very clear that you, by the drawing of the Holy Spirit in your life, have to make a decision to follow Jesus, to press all in, trust in all that he did for you on the cross was enough. And nothing else. And place your faith and trust in him. Have you done that? Because if you haven't, you probably haven't experienced the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God because he's not there. He's, he's there knocking on your heart and your door of your, of your life and he wants you to invite him in. Today can be that day where you invite the Lord to be a part of your Life, not a part, I hate that. To take your life. Not just a small part, but to own your life. And if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. But just the Spirit of God, while he's indwelling you, what part, what active part does he have in your life? Well, let's, let's move on. Look what it says in verse 21. There's this amazing truth about Jesus, or excuse me, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit as the teacher or keeping us, sorry, keeps us in all truth. Look what it says in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he that, who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I love it. Each guy is getting moments throughout this text last week and this week, and they're asking their questions because they're confused. In verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, that guy's already left, he's going to sell Jesus, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the whole world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. What an amazing phrase. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. You see, the second thing is that the spirit the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, keeps us in the truth. And you might be like, where are you seeing that? I'll get there in a moment. 
But this is the second thing we see, and he goes back to this section about love and obedience, this theme of, of obedience being a result of our love for him, that our heartfelt love for God should result in obedience. This isn't stoic obedience, like, oh, you know, I just, I have to obey God, so I will, like when you tell your kids to clean the room. They're not going to get their allowance, they're not going to get, you know, technology, so they drag their feet, kicking and screaming to go clean the room. This is not what God's talking about. It's birthed out of a heart of love here at the end of the day. And he's saying, man, it leads to this experience of love with the Father and the Son, a revelation of the Son for the believer. I mean, what else could motivate us better? Experiencing God for ourselves. Well, you might ask, like, why in the world did he ask that question? Why did Judas ask this question in this section? Well, I'll tell you. For um, most first century Jews, they were waiting for the Messiah to reveal himself with power to the world. I mean, that's what they thought was coming. Even the disciples, I mean, they're like, man, Jesus, when are we going to overthrow the Roman government? When are you going to, like, reveal yourself with power? We're on the right team, and we've left everything to come and follow this guy, Jesus, so that, man, one day when he overthrows the Roman government, we're going to sit on his council, and we're going to be with him And so Judas' question is actually birthed out of that. So that's why he asks, like, Lord, how are you going to reveal yourself just to us and not to the world? Like, that doesn't make sense. Why would you just reveal it to us? Man, we're ready to go. And Jesus answers and says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you remember what we said last week? I go to prepare a place for you, a resting spot, not a mansion on a hill. If you missed last week, go back and listen to it. The King James Version, it's great. I grew up on it. But the word there, mansion, is really doing us a disservice of the view of heaven. God is not building us our HGTV dream home in heaven. Like That's not the sense. The sense is that he's, he's, he's creating a resting place, and the joy of it all, the, 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 the epicness of it all, is not a mansion on a hill in heaven. The epicness, the joy of it, the, 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 what we look forward to in all of it is Jesus. It's seeing him face to face, being reunited with him. What he's talking about here, I will come and make our home with him. And really, at the end of the day, he's promising what was expected at the end of time. Read Revelation 21, where we're there with God for all of time. He's speaking to that. But what's key is that it's something that we can experience right now in this present time through the Holy Spirit, is what he's saying. He's saying that, man, one day you desire to be with me for all of time, and that's what it's going to be like. But I just want you to know that through the coming of the Spirit of God, the helper that I'm sending, you are actually going to experience heaven now in part through the Spirit of God. That we should experience the full joy of being present with God for all of eternity in part right now because of the helper, the Spirit of God. I mean, I don't know, like, Are you experiencing heaven in part with your walk with Jesus? Because of the Spirit of God present with you, walking with you? Last week when we looked at verse 2, there's this word that he uses in the Greek for place. I go to prepare a place for you. In our verse here in verse 23, he uses the exact same word when he says home. 
What he's saying is Jesus is preparing a dwelling place for us, but until then, he dwells within us. So as the disciples, and we probably look forward to a place being prepared for them in the future, us in the future, the Father and the Son would make their home with them in the here and now by by the coming of the Spirit. He's saying, man, at the end of the day, you're looking forward to heaven one day and being a place with me. And he's like, I want you to know that right now you can experience that same home and place with me right now as you walk every single day life. And I'm I'm sure some of you are looking at me wide-eyed like, I've never experienced that with the Spirit of God. Well, that's why I'm glad I'm opening up the Word of God with you today. Because I think it's lacking. The real answer to Jesus' question comes in 24, kind of in the negative sense. He says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. This is a way of Jesus defining the world for us. He's saying at the end of the day, he will not reveal himself to those who do not love him and keep his words or his commandments. A number of years ago, our youngest, Paisley, uh, she's almost nine she, in December, but she was a few years ago, three or four years ago, maybe, maybe before that, I can't remember. My memory's not great. I told you it's, it's so fun to teach your children to ride a bike. I will never forget hers. We were up north in Traverse City at her family's cottage, and, and Paisley really wanted to like, learn how to ride a bike. And she asked me to take off her, her training wheel, so of course every dad's like, yes! Let's do this. And, and usually the moms are like, okay, be careful, you know, put a helmet on, you know, knee pads, elbow pads. And I'm like, she'll be fine. It's totally fine. And, man, I, I'll never forget as she's riding, just this joy that came over as she starts riding down. It's actually a gravel driveway. And she's riding, riding down the driveway, and she begins to yell, I'm doing it! I'm doing it! but she couldn't see behind her as I was holding her seat, running as fast as I could, <laughs> keeping her up so that she wouldn't hit a tree and her mother would disown me. <laughs> she was riding the bike, but I was really the one behind her, keeping her up, giving her support, keeping her steady. She rode the bike forward. What enables you to keep Jesus' commands to love him? Is it you? Is it your, your, your trying harder? Is it your self-effort? Is it your goodness? Is it your strength that keeps you in the Word of God, that keeps you in the Lord, that, that helps you keep the commandments of God when he says, man, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? Is that all you, that you're the one with your own strength and effort doing it and following after the Lord? If your answer is yes, you are way off theologically. No. The thing that is keeping you in the truth, as I said in this point, the Spirit of God is the one who does it. Not only is the Holy Spirit the one indwelling us and and keeping us, at the end of the day, he's the one who keeps us in the truth. If you're doing anything good in following Jesus, it's the enabling of the Spirit of God in your life as you work with him. He's the one running behind you as you ride your bike in the Christian faith, holding you up, and you may be saying, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, but he's behind you saying, like, no, it's me. I'm carrying you. I'm walking with you. I'm, I'm holding you up. 
Spirit of God is the one that's working in us both to will and to work for his good. Every effort to try and keep his commandments is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2 and verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now look at this next phrase. For it is God who works in you. Now listen to this. Both to will, to actually want to do it, and to work for his good pleasure. The Holy Spirit is the one inside of you actually giving you the the inclination to actually want to follow truth. And the Holy Spirit is not only the one giving you the inclination of your own heart and life, he's the one empowering us to do it. So no effort of my own. Man, I'm, I'm trying to do my best, but at the end of the day, I would be lost if it wasn't for the helper, the paraclete, indwelling me and holding me in all truth. He's the one doing it. Because you could read this text, man, the section of Scripture, and come to the conclusion that we love God or we keep his commandments so that we can obtain the love of God, but that's so far from the truth. We know that we love God because he first loved us. God already gave his son for us, and out of that love we respond by keeping his commandments, enabled by the Spirit of God to actually keep them. While striving to do our best to follow the Lord, at the end of the day, the Spirit keeps us in the truth because Jesus sent us the Spirit of God to help us on the way. There's one more truth. If you look in verse 25, that the Spirit of God is our teacher. He teaches us truth. Look what it says in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you Well, I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What amazing peace that he could give to them in that. You're trying to remember everything? Don't worry about it. I'm going to send the Helper, the Spirit of God. He's going to teach you everything. He's going to bring to remembrance everything I ever said to you. You're like, sweet mercy, that's a lot. Verse 27, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you remember that from last week? Same thing. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have, if you loved me, excuse me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. See, the final thing that I want you to see in this text is that the Spirit teaches us truth. Now, this is pretty significant. Jesus is speaking of the end coming. He's kind of getting in that direction, but it's not quite here. And he's saying, man, I'm going to no longer be present with you, but I promise the helper is coming, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to teach you all things. Not only that, he's going to bring to remembrance all the things that I've already taught you. 
He's saying at the end of the day, what Jesus was doing in teaching them, another, the helper of the same kind, is coming, and he's going to continue doing the same thing that he was doing. He's just going to pick up where Jesus is leaving off, and he's going to continue teaching them, not only teaching them, but also helping them remember all the things that the teachers already taught them. You see, what's beautiful about the helper is that unlike Jesus, who is restricted to a three-year time period in life to teach them all things. The Spirit of God, he says, is going to come. He's going to indwell us. He's going to make his home in us. And all through life, as we walk from the time we know him to the time we live, uh, breathe our last breath, the Spirit of God is going to walk with us and teach us, not restricted by three years, but a lifetime. And honestly, this helps us understand some things. I mean, I don't know about you. Sometimes you look at the disciples and you're like, these guys wrote the Bible? They didn't even understand it when Jesus was walking with them. They all abandoned Jesus. See, this helps us so much because it shows us that guys that didn't quite understand, it didn't all click, they didn't get it all at the time. When, when Jesus was giving his life on the cross, I mean, they weren't there. They didn't know what was happening. They went back to fishing. It gives us some insight as to what happened. At the end of the day, the Holy Spirit of God came. He not only taught them, but he brought to remembrance all the things. And afterwards, it just clicks. But when does it click? After Pentecost, when the Spirit of God falls on them, and now their eyes are open, their, their ears are open, they make sense of it now because the Spirit of God is the one teaching them. And the framing of this section is pretty beautiful. The words in verse 27 are almost identical to the words of last week in verse 1, where he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and one day I'll come back and I'll be with you. But he says, I want you to experience the present benefits right now of what's going to come one day through the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. He shares of this when he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understand this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, no, what no eye has seen, nor heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of God? Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, listen to this, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He's speaking to the same thing. At the end of the day, it's what we biblically call illumination. That the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to illuminate it to our hearts as He teaches us the Word of God. And the process involves the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Man, I'll just say, if you're just depending on the Holy Spirit to teach you and you're just walking down the road and be like, just reveal yourself, that, that, that's not that it doesn't happen. But the primary agent of God teaching us is the Word of God. So if the Word of God doesn't have an active role or an active place in your everyday life, how is the Spirit of God going to teach you? Then secondly, if you're just reading the Bible, not inviting the Spirit of God 
into that process, before you crack the book and say, Spirit of God, what is it you have for me? What do you want to reveal to me? What do you want me to know? You're not experiencing what God ultimately wants you to experience through the teacher, the helper, the Spirit of God. So I just want to ask you a couple questions. First is, have you placed yourself actively in a place where you can be taught by the Spirit of God? I come back to this all the time, and I, I won't stop, because I think it is a problem. We have a, a, a biblical illiteracy and spiritual illiteracy in the church today because the Scriptures do not have an active role in people's lives. Does the Word of God have an active place you see, God speaks to us through illumination, through the Spirit of God in a number of different places. I mean, just here at Woodside, I use examples. Right in this time, when God opens the Word through my mouth and through what He's laid on my heart, and the Spirit of God uses it and speaks to each one of you, man, God uses this. Is this what we're doing right now? Have a, a, a real priority in your life to be present and joining the saints in church on Sunday to hear the Word of God preached publicly. Does that have priority in your life? Or do we see you here every five or six weeks because this really, at the end of the day, doesn't have a place where it's like, man, I need to be there to hear the word of God with the saints of God and experience the word together. Here at Woodside, we would say it happens in smaller forms. As you get into smaller groups of, of people and, just, and, and reading the word of God together and studying it in Bible studies and in small groups, I mean, does that have any active place in your life? It happens in your personal study. When you break the, 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 the Bible open and ask the Lord to reveal himself, man, that's, that's, that's rudimentary. That should be baseline. Does the Word of God have an active place where the Spirit of God can be a teacher? If not, you already know what your active step is from this message. To make it. And then secondly, are you living in such a way that you actually acknowledge and open yourself to the teaching of the Spirit? In your life. Because here's the thing, you can attend church on Sunday, you can lead a small group, you can even open up your word, the Bible, and still not acknowledge and invite the Spirit of God to be present in it. My recommendation for you is that every time you open the word of God and come to it, you pray one prayer, I say it all the time myself, Lord, what is it you have me to hear, see, or know today? What is it you have me to hear or see or know as I open up your word, as I enter into church today, as I join my small group, as I go to a Bible study? What is it you have me to hear, see, or know? And as followers of Jesus, I just want to encourage you. You have the Spirit of God indwelling you. He's the one that's keeping you. And at the end of the day, he wants to teach you and walk with you through everyday life. He sent us to help us. But I'll ask you the question one more time. And then allow the Spirit of God to work. What active role does the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, it's not just a spirit, it's a, he's a person, the third person of the Trinity that's indwelling you if you are a follower of Jesus, what active role does he have in your everyday life? And if that's for a struggle for you, you don't even know what that looks like, I would love to talk to you. We have a team that will be praying in the prayer room. Go talk to them. 
The Spirit of God wants to engage you. He's never left. He's always been there. He's still walking with you. He might just be waiting for you to acknowledge he's present. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done and how you move among us, God. God, it grieves my heart how often, God, myself, I neglect your presence. It grieves my heart, God, how often I I read the scriptures, I come before you, and I don't even I don't even invite you into that. So God, I ask that this would be a place, this would be a church that would be not just indwelled by your spirit, but filled with your spirit as we actively participate with you in everyday life. So God, I ask that you'd move among us. Those that need to hear what they hear, you know exactly, you're you're speaking to them now. And so Lord, would you move among us? Would you help us have a place where the word of God and being in your presence is a normalcy? We're looking forward to hearing from you because you want us to experience in part right now heaven before one day we're in your presence for all of time. So even as we sing now, Lord, would you speak to us? It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's close as we sing together.